ironoverload.io presents Iron Overload No Bullshit Podcast with your co-host Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the UG info like you've never heard before. No bullshit, no lies, straight hardcore truth. A bodybuilding podcast like you never heard before. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, Iron Overload.io Hardcore Episode 57. Today's going to be a fun one. We're going to talk about how to get better at bench press. And, um, you know, Bobster and I, definitely, we've done our share of uh, strength training over the years. Um, one of the things that really I consider the number one lift in the gym uh, for, for powerlifting purposes is going to be bench press. Everyone always wants to know, you know, how much you benching? How much you benching? So that's the number one. Number two, a lot of you might be listening to this, especially you younger guys. You know, you might be, you know, 20, 25 years old. And you're like, well, I got a bird chest. I need to get my my uh, my chest improved here. And uh, look, a skinny chest like that is okay. You know, we all had that. When I was younger, I had the bird chest as well as a teenager. Once I started to lift weights, the results were pretty, pretty drastic. I was able to widen my chest and get bigger. And um, it's definitely something that you want to do. So this is the podcast to learn about that. So we're going to talk about how to get stronger with your bench press. And we're going to also going to be talking about how to improve your chest overall. But specifically, if you're going to improve your bench press, your chest is going to come along with it, obviously. So we want to focus on that. So I'll bring in Mobster first. Uh, tell us about your history with the bench press, Mobster. Do you remember the first time you actually did a bench press? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and this, I think I've actually mentioned this story before, Steve. It's kind of embarrassing. The one, uh, probably not the first time, but one of the st- <laughs> times that stuck in my mind. So we had, I was training at school. I hadn't even got any weights or the sports center or anything like that. I was training at school my lunch break. I should have been eating, guys. I was growing. I should have been eating, not training. And we had those kind of gymnastic benches, like about 11 foot long, Steve, and about a foot off the floor. So that was my bench press bench. And I was training with these two guys, uh, Anthony Scantlebury, and I can't remember the other fellow's name. And Anthony's a black fellow whose uncle was some great Jamaican wrestler. So it is massive bone structure for a 15, 16-year-old as we was. I'm benching. On this bench with the bar, which is a five-foot bar, and 15 kilos on each end. So I'm going to say 35 kilos, which is 77 pounds. And how I didn't get mine fucked, I have no idea. But this rather butch young lady came in as I'd finished bench pressing, took it off, and curled it. So they're absolute head fucks of all head fucks. I do recall slightly more positively Um when I'd brought some weights and was training at home on a bench that was made out of angle iron and held together with nuts and bolts. And I had to pay my brother to spot me. And eventually, I don't know, I was 16, 17, worked up to a 200-pound bench press, 90 kilos. So quite good. At some point, and I've mentioned this on other pot shows and uh, online, etc. I eventually worked up to it. Actually, I might be doing this again very soon. That's the plan anyway. I worked up to a 418-pound, 190-kilogram bench press. So though I've not become an absolute world phenom in bench press, 400-plus pounds is a good number. In fact, for you guys, I don't want you to be too overawed. Trust me on this. 1% 
of the weld from bench press, the equivalent of two plates on each side, 100 kilos, 225 pounds. Uh, maybe in a gym, it's going to be about 5% of normal gym people, never mind in the world, that can bench three, bench three plates aside. And like Steve said, questions that you get asked is how much weight can you lift then you think on one exercise but not in, most of the time they're talking about the bench press and for some particular reason it's stuck as a mark of how good are you compared to me ironically steve the bench press is actually not that old of a lift prone pressing used to be on the floor and then at some point it ended up on a plank of wood leaning up against the wall for an incline in the back in the day, people were more interested in what you could press overhead than what you could press off your chest. So here's the thing, all right? Now, in terms of petrol engagement, in terms of actually developing the chest, the bench press is not, and people are going to love this shit because I do it as much as anybody else, same as Steve, it is not the best for engaging your chest. But the key point of today's podcast is how to get better at the bench press and specifically how to get more from it so as to engage your chest so that's not necessarily about time under the bar and how much weight you can lift and whatever else so we're going to get into the specifics the little nuances and it's hard to do when you're verbalizing it rather than showing you guys It'd be a lot easier if i could show you of course the specifics of things you can do, just a few simple tips, and I'll try to verbalize those with Steve's help as much as possible to get you to do these things. And if you like, and this is a special way of doing this, have this podcast playing or have this the, the, the comments that we've made in this podcast in your brain when you're doing the bench press and just literally like a mantra, repeating what we said, repeating the little nuances, doing the hand things, doing the chest things that we're going to talk about just to get the absolute best you possibly can from what is, after all, a very simple exercise. And what is a bench press? Lay on a bench, 11, 12, 12 inches off the floor, Steve. The bar is at arm's length above your head, lower to the sternum, and then push it back up. That's really kind of it. So it's not a complicated move, but so many people just throw the weights around or get a buddy to spot them or whatever else and they lose so much from the exercise. So I'm going to start off with a couple, and Steve can come in from time to time as he wishes, because I'm sure that Steve's like me. We've made the mistakes. We've done things in the past. Literally, for me, for example, when I fit those big numbers, I'm a weightlifter. So nine times out of ten when I'm doing bench press is weight from A to B. It's not about an engagement. But I have, over time, as Steve has, picked up enough experience and time under the bar and being in the gym long enough that we see the mistakes that people make. So let me just give you a few simple tips. But here's one, and this applies to all kind of training, Steve, being consistent. You don't get to be good at anything without time. The classic example, the, the analogy that's been used for many, many years is the 10,000-hour rule. To become a chess master, you needed to at least 10,000 hours playing chess. If you want to be good at bench press, you need to bench press. And you need to do it not necessarily eight times a week, Steve, but you need to do it with a regular enough frequency that the learned process of how you feel when you're doing the exercise becomes natural. Second, it's like I don't even think about it. I don't have to think about where my hands go. I don't think about where my shoulder blades are. It's just done. And when you've done it enough times, 
consistently with practice, you'll get better at it. So that's number one. Number two, it is a very simple tip, Steve. Whether it's a weightlifting type bench press or a bodybuilding type bench press, try it just as an experiment, feet down, planted on the floor, and feet up. Trust me, the difference between the two is huge. So, for example, and we could, this is with the other tips that we're going to talk about today, just having your feet planted properly on the floor and stabilizing your upper body, it's going to allow you to focus where you want it to be, which is in the chest, in the pectoral muscles. If you are wobbling around, if one foot's slightly askew, if you're distracted, if your hands are not quite where they should be, it's that much harder to do. Okay, so there's one, two. Stupid stuff for here, Stephen. This actually comes from my grip sport. Annoyingly, there's only one or two studies that prove this, which is kind of annoying because I normally prefer more studies. Squeeze the bloody bar. So you enhance the muscle, target muscle, and in this case, that would be the pectoral muscle again. Engagement by squeezing and certain exercises, whether it's a leverage machine and you're using handles, or whether in this case, it's a barbell. If you do an open-handed bench press, assuming you don't lose control of the bar, of course, guys, because I would prefer you to have a close-handed grip, but not a suicide grip, it has to be said, but with your hands gently wrapped around the bar. And then the next set or rep, you do it slightly tighter. And then finally, you're squeezing the bar as hard as possible. You will get more fiber engagement in the targeted area. So that would be the petrols again. So there's a number. Okay, for bodybuilding, where does a bar come down to? I press from above my eye line down to the lower part of my sternum. And that's a great path of movement for weightlifting purposes, for powerlifting purposes, but it's not the best way of engaging your pectorals, your chest muscles for bodybuilding purposes. In fact, arguably, Steve, midpoint on your chest, up above about two inches, three inches above your nipple line is the best way to get the whole of the chest or at least the middle of the chest. So not just the lower part or the upper part, but the middle of the chest engaged more. So there's a few tips, Steve. I've got more, but I'll let you jump in for a second just to give a couple of your own. So in your gym, you know, there's always the handful of guys. It might be one guy, two guys, three guys, five guys who are able to bench a lot of weight. And, um, you know, one of the one of the things that you can do is kind of get to know them, befriend them and learn some tips for them. Watch them. Watch what they're doing. So one of the tips that was given to me back when I was in, in my mid 20s by a, an older guy who was, um, this guy was able to bench, I mean, like 500 plus pounds. And he wasn't that, you know, that, he didn't weigh that much. He was like 230, 240 at the most. But he was still able to bench a lot, an insane amount of weight. And one of the tricks that he uses to do that is building consistency at a lower weight. So when you, instead of trying to always like push, to max out on every workout, build consistency at a lower weight so that you're able, your body's able to uh, adapt and improve in that way. And then that will help you get heavy, heavy weight, you know, do one rep, two rep maxes when it comes down to it. But you don't want to go in there and be doing one set, one rep, two rep maxes, you know, on your bench days. You know, because that's just going to wear your body out and cause injuries. Go ahead, mobster. We I see you. 
You've gone quiet. You can't hear. With Steve, hundred percent in that particular regard, because um, I don't consistently try to hit the big numbers through the year. One of the things, funny enough, and this is one of my particular targets, just as an older gentleman, I had it a thing in my head that I was going to be able to do three plates, 140 kilos or 300 plus pounds when I'm 60. And I have to kind of reassess that, Steve, so that I get better consistently at the lower numbers. Steve talks about better control, better engagement and so on. Let me give you another few examples, Steve. And this is uh, one of the things that Steve mentioned earlier on was the phrase, which we're familiar with, the bird chest. Ironically, it's a kind of chest that almost looks like a, a bird's chest. As Steve said, it's kind of almost pointing outwards. Uh, and one of those simple tricks that a normal person can do who hasn't even got a bird chest is imagine, this is very, you have to think about how this works, guys. So you're in the bench press position, your, your back, your upper shoulder blades are flat down on the bench. You want to engage your pecs. Is you put the chest, the sternum, that bird cage, into the gap. So arms extended above your head, hands grasping the bar, pulling your chest into the gap. If you relax the chest, if you kind of almost don't pull the chest into it, then you're going to get much greater engagement, for example, Steve, in the arms and in the front delts. Lots of people do that. So pulling the chest into the gap, raising the chest, but without necessarily arching your lower back, is going to engage the pecs better. Another one, and this is more young people than old people, don't do that thing, Stephen. So many times we see this in the gym. It ain't all you, motherfucker, if your mate's doing all the work. It ain't all you if you decide to put some crazy number on there and two of your buddies or one of your buddies is having to yank that thing off the chest to stop you dying a horrible death. You're not engaging your chest there. You're just training the ego. And while the ego is a huge part of being able to pick up and press and do whatever bench crazy weights, ego is what's going to stop you from doing the stuff that you actually wanted to do, which is either push the big numbers because your buddy's doing all the work, or in the case of bodybuilding, your buddy's doing all the work, how the fuck are you engaging your chest? So that's an obvious one there, Steve. Simple one again. And I've done this with a few people just to demonstrate, real, real simple. You can do it with a broomstick or you can do it with a heavy bar. Try, for example, engaging the rear delts by pulling your hands apart or pushing your hands together. And what do I mean by that? So you grasp in exactly the same place that you normally would, gripping the width that you like to bench press from. In my case, that's relatively close. But super, super heavy bench presses tend to go right out to the collars as far as they can with the suits, et cetera, that they use. A bodybuilder is going to be probably a little bit wider than shoulder width, Steve, and grasping exactly the same place as normal, same grip, same tension, et cetera, et cetera, but gently trying to pull your hands closer as you bench press the weights that you're choosing. What will happen is more muscle fiber engagement happens. Therefore, you're working the pecs more. There are others. For example, and this is kind of where the, you're taking something else that's a much more direct movement and using it and then using the big compound movement of bench press. Pre-exhaust, and it doesn't have to be heavy, Steve, whether it's on a pec deck, whether it's dumbbell flies, whether it's doing a, a light incline, higher rep warm-up, et cetera, et cetera, pre-exhaust the muscle. Now, for example, dumbbell flies, Steve, doesn't have to be crazy heavy, but just stretching the muscle out at the bottom, 
deliberately trying to flex the muscles at the top. And again, this wouldn't, you, you wouldn't even need to use more than 30 pounds if you absolutely know what you're doing. And then going over to the bench press and using that particular movement as a compound movement. Now you're bringing those front delts in. Now you're bringing in the triceps. Now you're bringing in that crazy grip stuff that I was talking about earlier on. Now you're absolutely smashing all the muscle fibers you possibly can. It's never a hundred percent guys, because if it was, you'd die and the bar would be on your neck at some point, but it's a much higher percentage than it normally would be because you deliberately pre-fatigued and targeted a specific movement like flies, which is pretty much almost nothing but pectoral engagement. So there's a couple right there. One something that's super important here, Steve, and I think it's why we do these things in the first place. Why do we train this stuff? Why do we lift this weight? Why do we want a great chest? And I'm applying to the younger listeners here, probably more than anybody else. Uh, it is certainly perhaps the reason even for me and you why we got started. The girls like the pecs. <laughs> if you're not in a nightclub with a little bit of a shirt and you're showing a bit of chest muscle, perhaps a few hair, chest hairs as well, Steve, you know you're doing well when someone's touching your chest. You know that they're physically getting into that place. They're inside your personal space and they've seen a little bit of peck. They know that you look after yourself. And if it's a little bit of a vein on your arm, whether it's a bit of a calf popping through your tight trousers, but more often than anything else, and especially for girls with the guys, they're the right height, that their eyes are nearly always, because they're typically a little bit shorter than you, somewhere around your chin level and their eyes are around your chest level. So, Steve, there's that thing where they're looking, I mean, guys look at women's checks, but for a different particular reason. And it ain't because they've got great pecs and they've been working down the gym. But nevertheless, there's a sexual thing in there. There's a reason why we train. The so-called disco tips, Steve, is when they were doing dips in the toilets of the club to pump their arms and again punch it, pump their chest. Ironically, Steve, outside of the nightclub, men will notice your big chest. It is considered if you're walking around town, if you're if you're surrounded by someone who's t the average, I believe, is something like 36, 38 inch chest, and you're walking around town with a 50, 52, 53, 54 inch chest, people notice that shit. They just do. That's just animal primitive behavior. It's the reason why we ask these questions about uh, what can you lift and how much can you bench and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of weird. But what it also means, if you understand that stuff, if you get it. And we're not talking about physical competition, and I'll touch on that in a minute, Steve. If you get it, you understand what the motivation is. Now, let me talk briefly, and I'll kind of get towards the end of where I am with this, Steve, on um, physique competition. So what is it? And again, this doesn't necessarily apply to all our listeners, although sometimes we like to think that we should be training like, say, Phil Heath or some, Ronnie Common or something like that. And in reality, we need to do what we need to do, not necessarily what they need to do. But what can we learn from champions that are trying to get optimal, ideal, physical uh, best out of themselves for the stage? So as an example, in Arnold's day, Steve, they did a lot of decline bench pressing as much as they did flat bench pressing. So you had the Arnold chest, which was bottom heavy, lots of pectoral development at the bottom of the chest, lots of ribcage expansion. And that kind of huge chest kind of you see in some of the side chest photographs of Arnold, but not a lot of top chest engagement, not a lot of top chest development. But Phil Heath, as a 90s slash 2000s bodybuilder, he had what we would call equal development. The bottom was thick, the middle was thick, and the top was thick. And what he really had, probably what caught people's eyes the most, was that top, where he'd filled in the gap. 
between the clavicles and the neck and and, and, and the, almost the face with as much meat as possible to have. Funny enough, it's not actually that broad, or those delts were enormous, but his chest was completely developed from top to bottom. You can think of other examples where people have had muscle fibers visible on the inside versus the outside. So the trick here, guys, and whether it's a bench press or a pectoral exercise, and bench press is one of those exercises, is doing the movement in such a way that enhances what you want to enhance. So for example, incline bench would be upper chest, decline bench would be lower chest, and flat bench would be all of the chest, the midpoint of the chest. And so it's those kind of things. And we can do things with it's arching our back a little bit, Steve, changing the angle, even taking a flat bench and just putting a block of wood under one end or lifting it up a few inches just to change the angle. For example, guys, again, I'm, for strength purposes, a really good, relatively speaking, close grip bench presser. But the top, top guys that are doing 600 kilos and absolutely crazy numbers with bench shirts, et cetera, are almost out of the collars. So changing your hand spacing, bringing your hands in, if you go wide, bringing them out wide, if you go narrow, and so on and so forth. Again, for power purposes, and I'll finish off on this thing before we bring you back in, for power purposes, what else do I do? Uh, and this is common for a lot of people that do heavy benching. I work my upper back on bench day, funny enough, Steve, specifically because that's what I'm pressing from. That's what I'm not in touch with the bench. My chest isn't, my back is. I do heavy tricep work. I've just done some today, ready for tomorrow. Uh, and even if you look at the very, very top bench presses, and this is more weightlifting than it is bodybuilding, rear delt work, Steve. So just a few thoughts on that from yourself. So you bring up a good point for sure. How many times do we see people walking around a gym with a big puffed up chest, walking around like a robot, but their backs are really weak. So part of building a strong chest is also building a strong back as well. And that's an absolutely great point. You don't want to develop imbalances, especially, you know, when you're starting out at first over time. And what's going to end up happening, you see a lot of um, guys who just focus on bench press. They got that big, that big bench press gut. They got no back. You never see them train their back. Why would they train their back? It's a waste of time. Their arms are really, really skinny. The front of their arms are skinny. Their biceps are skinny. And, and their, and their uh, triceps are, are big. You know, because when you're bench pressing, you're working your triceps, not so much your, your biceps, obviously. So you see their physiques. And their physiques, they just focus on bench pressing. But what happens over time is they start developing imbalances. And those imbalances will lead to injuries. And that's eventually going to catch up to them. So it's really important to balance things out. Also train your legs. I mean, if you're going to be good at bench pressing, uh, you know, have a strong upper body, you got to have not just your back be strong. You got to also have your legs be strong. It's like, it's a, it's very, very important. The other thing too, when you guys are just starting out, a lot of you may be listening to this. You've only been training for a few months or even a year or two, which isn't very long. You got to build consistency in the gym. You got to keep going to the gym. You got to build the muscle memory, the body memory over time. It's very, very important. The, the work you put in now, the hours you put into the gym now will pay off as you get older. You can always tap into that. It's for life. Just like learning to ride a bicycle. How many people out there they keep their bicycles in a storage unit for 10 years. They don't touch it. Then one day they open up their storage unit. They're like, yeah, I want to go bicycle, start bicycling again. They get on the bicycle and they bicycle down the street. No problem. But they have a bicycle in 10 years. What the hell is going on? So body memory and muscle memory are real things. And you got to put in the hours when you're younger to do it. 
And then the third point before I let Mobster, because I wanted Mobster to have the bulk of the the uh, the the time on this one, is that you know you've got to train smart. Okay, one of the things that's going to happen when you're benching and you're increasing the weight and you're doing heavy weights is there's a good chance that your shoulders are going to take a beating and there's a good chance you'll start having a tear tears in your shoulder. Your shoulders aren't designed to put up with the type of load when you're doing chest exercises. So our shoulders are very, very sensitive parts of our body. So you have to mitigate injuries. And the way we mitigate injuries is training smart. Don't max out. Uh, don't do one rep, two rep maxes and try to bring your ego to the gym. Stick to more four or five rep when you're when you want to go strong. And then when it comes to, you know, the maintenance on your body, the flexibility, the mobility is very important. So you guys can Google something called the eagle pose. It's a, it's a yoga pose called the eagle pose. And look at that. That's something you should be doing on a daily basis to increase the mobility in your elbows in your shoulders, on your wrists, and keep everything healthy. Keep the blood flow going. And, and once you keep the mobility and flexibility, it's very important. I don't know where we got, Mobster, the idea that stretching and warming up properly was what wusses do or whatever. I don't know where people got this idea from. But it needs to end because it's stupid. Um, I really think the people who say stuff like that Number one, they're not really athletes, okay? They're just a bunch of phonies. And number two, they don't know anything about science or anything, just to say something stupid. If you go to any um, professional sporting event and go there early, okay? Let's say the football game's at 1 o'clock, and you show up at really, really early. First of all, they won't even let you in if you show up too early. But let's say, hypothetically, you were allowed in. They're on the field at 10 o'clock, mobster, warming up, all right? So from 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock, they're warming up, they're stretching, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're moving around and stuff. They're getting their bodies ready for a football game. They're taking longer to warm up and stretch than they are to actually play, actually, the time they're on the football field, you know? It's a 60-minute it's, it's game. And they're actually stretching and warming up longer than the actual game. So just think about it. Proper warm up. You must proper warm up. And then I get the I get the thing all the time, and I get it because I I train at these gyms over the years. I train at so many different gyms. I get it. It's hard to do that because you show up to the gym, you've got to wait fifteen minutes to use the bench press. Okay. Then you get on there, and you don't want to be an asshole and spend 10, 15 minutes warming up, right? So what you do, you warm up on the side. Do some push-ups. Do some light weights. Do some light dumbbells. Get everything warmed up. This way, when the bench gets opened up, you'll be ready to jump right in and start, you know, a qu get a, a quicker warm-up going. And then after your training, you should be stretching. Very, very important to get the, the muscle stretch, to get the ligament stretch, the tendon stretch. That lubricates the joints and keeps you healthy long term. Because I'll tell you, if you go in there and just start throwing weights around like a gorilla, you're not going to last long. You know, so you're not going to last long at all. Take it from someone who blew out his blew out his shoulder. You know, it's going to happen. So you can be dumb and and not. I wish I had someone to tell me all this stuff. You know, before I was in my early in my early mid thirties and I blew up my shoulder. I wish I had people to tell me this stuff, but no one did. 
But this is the type of advice you're not going to hear from other people. So, Mobster, give us some more advice. And then, uh, you know, take us to the disclaimer. I think it was a really, really good show. Right. So, there's a few. And it's, I'll, I'll touch on something that Steve just talked about with regards to the warm-up. One of the things I've actually suffered with, and again, Steve talked about blown shoulder, is I've had uh, issues with my frozen right shoulder for some time. And yet my bench press in the last couple of years has come back almost to the level where it was 15 years ago. What am I doing now, which actually helped me with a frozen shoulder, is I will warm up with a broomstick. And I'm literally just doing the actual bench press movement, but I'll do it at different angles for pressing and then for bench pressing. Uh, 40 repetitions, 50 repetitions with the broomstick, which must weigh a couple of pounds at the most. So there's shoulder mobility in terms of guys doing partial dislocations. But I can also think of, and this is super important and something we talked about on other shows, um, rotator cuff work, which is where we're working the little muscles in and around, the hidden underneath the, the three heads of the delts, the little muscles underneath that support the time from the chest, time from the shoulder, and you do that stuff in such a way as to enhance the little tiny muscles around the shoulder because it's only a ball and socket joint and here you are pounding away with every overhead pressing and heavy bench pressing and god knows what else and then wondering why especially as you get older you end up with these particular issues too so there's another thing that i do and this is more of an age thing but it also helps me with my strength training of course is i do use supportive aids but i'm not using them from first set not using them on warm-ups i'm only using them on the top heavy Wait, so bench pressing, maxing is when I would put on elbow sleeves or wrist wraps or whatever else. What I'm not doing is using supportive aids from day one all the time. Because what happens when you forget you can't do them? What happens when you're not using those suddenly you can't do as much weight as you are doing before and so on and so forth? That also ties in with what Steve said earlier on about being consistently good, even the lower stuff, even the sub-maximal type stuff. So there's another one. And then finally... I cycle my strength. And you can do this whether you're a bodybuilder or strength athlete like myself. Do not go balls out, flat out, on an exercise constantly all year round and expect not to have issues. So, for example, this is probably the first year, as we record this podcast in 2023, that I'm probably going to max out my bench press three times in a year. Typically, it'd be once or twice. I might even be four times issues. That's how fucking crazy this year's been. But again, because my shoulder health is good, again, because I've kind of learned all these tricks and techniques. So, for example, and I've, let me just give you a bodybuilding analogy again, Steve. You don't have to do bench press all the time. You don't have to do the same kind of bench press all the time and then expect not to be able to recover all the injuries. So, for example, three months of the year, incline, three months decline, three months flat, three months with dumbbells, three months with barbells, and so on. So I'm doing deviations using a bench press machine, the standing bench press machine, the hammer version of it. The, 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 but there's a version that does upper chest, there's a version that does lower chest. There's a version where your hands do rain parallel throughout. There's another version where the, the hands seem to come in together. I've forgotten what it's actually called at the end of the movement, much more like dumbbells, but on a fixed plane using the, uh, the machine. So there's different things you can do. And then again, if you're doing that consistently year on year on year, shoulder health stays where it is. Chest enhancement is in, engaged and, and, and added to. And your strength over periods of time. Again, this is one of those things, guys. We've all done press ups. Every person that's been to a gym, almost certainly men and women, whatever, has done a bench press at some particular point. But to be good at it, to get really muscular chest to get a really powerful strong chest for bench pressing for pressing and whatever else requires time 
I would, I could show you some absolutely crazy stuff that you could do from day one, but I would, it would tear you up. It would leave you sore. It would leave you strained. And the risk of injury would be incredibly high. But in time, with cycling off, cycling back on, with PDs and without PDs, with support equipment, with warm-ups, with stretching, you end up with these things. But they take a few of the tips that we've done throughout this podcast, like chest engagement, pectoral engagement, hand spacing, squeezing, lifting your chest into the space between your arms when you're bench pressing, especially at the top. And even one more, Steve, literally just learning to contract your chest, what we euphemistically seen called the mind and the muscle. It's difficult to flex your chest at the bottom of the movement on the bench press, but at the top of the movement, with those pectoral muscles being squeezed by your biceps on either side, learn to tense or flex or contract your chest at that point. What you're doing is adding another 1% or 2% to the movement, getting as much as you possibly can out of it, and ultimately learning to contract your chest muscles. And what's happening is you stretch at the bottom and press again. It's, it, it, it's, now it's fucked. Now it's getting pumped now it's getting squeezed now you're keeping the bench press and here's how this stuff works at the absolute top very best level some athletes naturally have this others like this podcast today need to listen to this show take some of the tips and learn to do those particular things but there's a point some part of the journey in the gym going down the road where you're able to do these things almost without thinking and if you can do that I've seen people do fucked up. I've read about it. I've seen people do stuff that's absolutely crazy that you wouldn't think would be working their chest with 30 pound dumbbells, Steve, with a plate or two plates on a bar when they can bench five plates, like C said with his buddy early one. Because they've learned to do all these things that we've talked about, because they've learned to bring their chest into the room, because they've learned how to get strong and they've become strong and they can go back and focus and just get as much out of the movement as they possibly can. And, and to the point, Steve, I'm thinking of one particular bodybuilder that's mentioned in the book I've got here where he was able to put his mind and the muscle in the back of a gym, the back of uh, some theatre, ready for a posing exhibition, and the only dumbbells that anybody had for warming up was 30 pounds, and he was able to get his, literally zone out everybody else, get his pump on with his 30-pound dumbbells for the whole of his body, come out and freak everybody out with how crazy he looked, vascular, pumped and nasty looking away of us because he was able to engage the muscle that was being worked so well the years of practice from some natural ability that he ended up coming back out and just looking fucking mental and of course that's what we all want we all want those massive striated vascular thick looking strong pectoral muscles and the more that we can get out of a movement and it isn't just bench press today guys but any movement the better our performance will be whether that's a muscular performance or if it's a strength performance Please note, we are not doctors and opinions are ours. It's our view and based on our experience and views on the topic, a podcast for informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.